DJs. Fine motion. Turn your radios up. You are now allowed to listen to the radio. The Fine Motion Show. This is a test. The music just turns me on. Derek Racino, also known as DJ Mind Motion, has spent his years really bringing life to the people of San Francisco. Whether you are someone who is working in the office or someone who is working some job that you're just getting by with, it didn't matter. His music spoke to each and every person. He lifted everyone up every Friday, every Saturday, and most importantly, in the summertime, the most famous party with DJ Dark Money and the Pirate DJs at the Cream of Beat concert all took place here in San Francisco. DJ Mind Motion has gotten so big that during the 90s, all the hip hop artists would come to his party and played, sometimes even for low cost to no money, so that he can play their music to the streets. I'm so delighted to introduce to you, Mr. Eric Racino, DJ Mind Motion. I'm Susan Brown. I'm Michaela Joy O'Shea. And I'm Jay Yee. You're listening to Beyond the Fog Radio. Our podcast about the untold stories of San Francisco's long history from the people that have helped shape it. Whether you're new to San Francisco or have lived here your entire life, join us as we share the stories of our city by the bay. All right, everyone, imagine this. 1991, I'm sitting in my uncle's car, Honda Accord. It was silver blue, and we're rolling down the streets of San Francisco. Guess what's on the radio, guys? Snoop Doggy. That's you. (laughs) That's because it was going to go. Dog. That's right. That's right. Snoop Dogg was on the radio. And at night when he's driving me home, guess who's on? Earth, Wind, and Fire, The Temptations, all of it. All that soul. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the backseat of a Honda Accord listening to the radio and just loving every single minute of it. And that was my introduction to DJs, the radio. And year after year, as I grew up, I would listen to more radio. It was the reflection of the times. And I'm so excited about this episode because we are bringing to you our first DJ, which is someone who is a local legend, maybe even internationally known, DJ Mind Motion. What? what? That's right. So excited. (laughs) So excited about DJ Mind Motion. I've listened to him throughout high school, throughout middle school. I mean, such a fan. Now, Michaela, coming from Colorado and then coming and then landing here in the Bay Area, did you notice any difference in the radio, the scene when it comes to music and how DJs played as it reflects the culture and the scene and the geographical area? Definitely, definitely. I think Colorado is more rooted in rock. And yeah. kind of an alternative, not, I don't want to say country because Colorado is the coolest state in the middle of the country, <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely more of like a blues driven. Whereas here, I feel like 
DJs in the Bay Area, everything's more hip hop, more soul, more beat driven. And that was what was really unique. And I loved that because it made it so fun to go out dancing and yeah. just being a part of, of the culture here. Everything was moving. Everything was quick and beat and, and just flow. Everything was about flow. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it is. It is such a vibe here in the Bay Area. And, you know, we got to interview Eric, DJ Mind Motion, at a very iconic spot at the beginning of Golden Gate Park, which I know that Susan chose that spot for a reason. Susan. Okay, so I grew up around the corner from Haight Street, and Haight and Stanion is where you're speaking of, and that's exactly where Golden Gate Park begins. It's at the end of what's called the Panhandle, which is the long, skinny part of Golden Gate Park. And then the proper Golden Gate Park begins at JFK Drive, right there at Stanion and Haight. And then right beyond that is a, is a place called Hippie Hill, yeah. where all the people play bongos. And they still do to this day, but they used to play Hippie Hill all the time. And last night I learned from my mom that Janis Joplin and, and Big Brother and the Holding Company used to perform at Hippie Hill for free in San Francisco in the mid-60s, which is simply amazing. And that's so, how they kind of got their start, right, your mom was saying? Yeah, that's how they got their start. So it's very iconic and pretty great that we interviewed DJ Mind Motion right there at the corner of Haight and Stanion. Now, I know DJ Mind Motion because of my brother, Michael, who owns a store called True on Hate? Literally, uh, it's literally on Hate and Ashbury. Another iconic Ashbury. establishment. Yeah, absolutely. How long has it been there, Susan? I uh, since probably the nineties, right, Jay? Since nineteen ninety one. Definitely the nineties. It's been there for a long time, and he owns it called True. And uh, uh, DJ My Motion and Michael are really, really good friends, and they have a DJ group that we're going to hear a DJ group that we're going to hear about called the Pirate DJs. Yes. And my brother has a DJ name. His DJ name is Dark Money. I know Eric on a totally social family level. I don't know him as a DJ. I know him as Eric Shante's husband and my brother's best friend. And I know him as for Thanksgivings and Christmases and birthdays. So I don't really know him as the DJ that he is. I know he plays good music, and I know when he plays, we all like to dance. Yeah. And that's <laughs> the extent of it for me. So yeah. interviewing him is great because I'm going to learn about what he does professionally as opposed to personally. Yeah, and that's really great. Like you said, all you know is that he plays good music. He not only plays good music, he plays all the good music. <laughs> and, it, you know, what you guys are about to hear is something special, like what goes through the mind of a DJ, how Eric became DJ Mind Motion, which, by the way, started off in the 80s when they just wanted to be a breakdancing crew and they came up with Mind Motion. And you'll hear more about that in this episode. Yeah. Here's Eric Racino, DJ Mind Motion. My name is Eric Racinos, and my DJ name is uh, DJ Mind Motion. <laughs> the famous Mind Motion. Yeah. Okay. And tell us about your occupation and your background and your connection to Bay Area music. Okay, so I started, believe it or not, the actual name DJ Mind Motion came from a dancing group. 
like a break strutting group back in the Fisherman Wharf days. Wow. With King Tech, Sway, and all them. We all grew up in the Fisherman's Wharf, really. That's how I met it. Mostly all the industry people I know, we all met because everybody wanted to be, nobody wanted to be a DJ, nobody wanted to be a rapper back in there, everybody <laughs> wanted to be a break dancer. So basically, everybody that break dance with us and now they're doing big things. Right. But we all met in San Francisco back when we were in high school. Now from then on, it's just like the name, my, my actual group was called Mind Motion. I build that name, so I, I still don't know what it means. <laughs> Because there was a guy named Foss that made it up, right? Because uh -huh. we entered a talent show. And there was a big strutting group from Fillmore called Demons of Mine. Wow. So he tried to like kind of mess with the crowd and like trying to use some of their name. And we entered this dance contest right here at the Indian Center on Valencia. We went to the door and said we want to enter the contest. The guy says, well, we could let you in, but you can't win the prize because you guys didn't sell no tickets, you know. But you, you're more and more glad to compete. But you need a name. We didn't have a name. So we just went around the corner and he just made up the name Mind Motion. But I think realistically, I think he tried to use the mind to, because our goal was to beat these guys from filming, you know, because they were like the top guys, right? Right. So our goal was to beat them. So I think he tried to put the mind name in there to like kind of confuse the crowd a little bit. So it just stuck. And then we started using that name more, dancing on, on the streets and all that. And then when I started getting older and that and started DJing more, I just kept the name because already people already knew the name, you know. Right. Oh, that's Eric, you know. We know him from there, and then from then on, from doing the parties and weddings and high school dance, I kept the mind motion. And that's it was that when they turned to DJing, actually it was mind motion master mix. Yeah, you know. So we added the little master mix for the DJing part. But as I grew older and from like I said, from at that time I was doing weddings, high school dances, and all that. When it, when I got 21 and I started doing the club gigs. I was like, okay, well, everybody knows me as my emotion from the group. Right. But they know that's really me. So it was easier for me to keep the name into my club days. Just so I actually grew up with these people that follow me to the club. They, they've been with me since Fisherman's Wharf. Wow. You know, so it was like I almost had like an instant crowd at the club as a new DJ because everybody just followed me by the name, you know, so... And I still don't know what it means, but, you know, <laughs> but that's it's a good example of branding. Yeah. You know, you can take anything and just brand it and, and it's good. You know, it's, it all depends on, on the work that you put in towards that brand. That's awesome. What's your earliest memory of the Bay Area artists that you've, that you've worked with? Okay, the first, I want to say when I started DJing, when artists started, like, coming more to me, like, you know, okay, my emotion has a, you know, has a following. He actually, people are listening to him. Right. So I want to say the early days is probably like in the, um, say like 80, 80, no, nah, not really, like about 89, 90s, really, really when I came up on my own. Right. You know, because like almost separate myself from all the crews and all that. So where my emotion just became me. So, and then I started a club right here. It's called the Night Break. It used to be right here, right across the street from Amoeba. Wow. Right next to Amoeba. It used to be called a Night Break. I used to do that every Sunday night. And then the place on the whole, like, 75 people, but we had, like, 400 people in there wow. every Sunday night. So that's why I started getting my order. Artists came through. I've done, like, almost every artist before they even became big, right? Right. Here at the night break. And so my name started getting around in the music industry. You know, my emotion has this club that you have to go to this club, and he has to play your song at this club. From then on, it just started growing the artists, you know, like, relationships and all that. Like I did MC Hammer. You right. know, I did MC Hammer at the Women's Building on uh, 18th Street. Wow. You know, for $500. You know, he wanted us $500 and in a keg for his crew. The reason why, though, is because when the Hammer came out, he had such a different sound. Nobody knew he was from the Bay Area. 
Yeah. So they actually start reaching out to local DJs to give them that little barrier bump, you know, like there's your underground. Or them artists just say, oh, my emotion, oh, we need my emotion, you know, like they say, you know, we used to do the parties, you know, they come to the club, Tupac. Right. You know, I had to kick out Tupac, one of my parties, for getting into a fight with my cousin, you know, it was like, <laughs> you know, and it, it come to think of it, back then it was just Tupac, he wasn't like the big guy, right, right. you know what I'm saying, but I was like, I was looking out more for my cousin then, and then, oh, that's Pac, you know, <laughs> I kicked him out back in the day, you know. Wow. <laughs> so that's how I got the connection with all the artists and just, you know. And me being able to help them out in their music journey at the same time, they help me out. Right. Because I need that hot record to keep me out, and they need me to make them out. So it all works out together, it's you know. Mutual relationship. Yeah, mutual relationship. So, and then from then on, just became a thing. Like, we need Mama to play that song. Yeah. Because I had everybody's attention. Right. Like, everybody knew what I wanted to play. All the DJs wanted to know what I had. Oh, yeah. You know, so, and then the artists, I had the relationship with the artists. They had their music first. So they were like, oh, what song is that? Yeah. You know, it's like... Yeah, I remember growing up listening to you every day. On the radio. On the radio. Yeah, see, and at that time, I didn't even want to do radio. Really? Because I was so hot on the street. Right. Then I was like, I don't need the radio. You know, I was like, yeah. I, I'm doing like seven clubs in the week. Yeah. And big clubs, you know, right. back in the day was great. So the radio was after me from like 92, like 95, 96. And I kept saying, no, 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 no. Really? You know what I'm saying? So, because uh, we were actually dictating what was happening in the music industry in San Francisco. Right. That makes you sense. Know? You would think the big corporation was thinking it wasn't. Right. It got to a point where me, myself, and my crew, Pirate DJs, we were doing the biggest parties in San Francisco where the record company would be like, oh, you know what? Well, we got Redman coming to the Bay Area this day to come to KML. And then they'll be like, well, Pirate DJs have Cream of Beat the following week. Okay, let's switch that and let's bring them back next week. And where radio was getting upset, like, why are this guy dictating what we're doing? We're supposed to be the corporate. Right. You know, but record companies like, nah, we got to bring them to Cream of Beat. Right. So we were dictating when artists would come to the Bay Area. Right. You know That's what I'm saying? Like, and that was big. So tell me a little bit about how Cream of Beat got started. What is Cream of Beat? Yeah. Cream of Beat got started for the fact that when we first started DJing, you know, we used to travel a lot to New York to the conferences, right? Just from being DJing, the hip-hop scene was coming, getting big. Right. And there was no hip-hop parties in San Francisco. It was mainly all a lot of underground, nothing commercial, like where you could go to a club. It had to be like late night, two in the morning, warehouses. And you had to deal with the cops and all that. So Creamy Beat started, you know, with your brother, Michael Brown. One time my brother couldn't do a, a party somehow, and then I, I covered for him. And that's when I met Michael Brown. And he was like, yo... My, my brother's name Raul he was like yo Raul's little brother just murdered that you know he <laughs> murdered his party right so I was like yeah so he spread my name up so much you know and I was already doing hip hop so he, he came about us like let's do parties I said well they don't you know the only club we really had was a bar right. it wasn't really a club it was night break it was like a bar so we started doing the parties outdoor late night after this ended we started to do hip hop parties on the beach party yeah. so I used to bring two big radio with two cassettes and just like pretend we were mixing there right so then after a while mike was like you know what we gotta make some money off this because we weren't making no money right and he was already a big promoter he used to promote big parties already so he was like let's get into the little clubs and all that so we started a party called mothership connection where 330 district used to be yeah used to be called the outback right we started mothership connection there then from then on we started growing the party started growing Bars making money, you know, the owners, that's They're what they happy. want. So they was like, hmm, we can make money on this hip-hop thing? Because before it was all raves, techno. So they were like, damn, these guys are making money of this hip-hop thing, right? And it's like, 
Okay, then then they took us. Uh, we took it from there to the old kennel club when there was zero, you know. And then the party got bigger. It's still Mother's Nation. Then as uh, then the party started getting bigger, I said, let's change the name. Let's get create something fresh. And then Mike came up with the name Cream of Beat from the Cream of Wheat. Right. Because at that time in the 90s. That's branding. Yeah. You know, at that, that time in the 90s, everything was like all the fashion right. was taken from, you remember? They had like the cereal boxes, but they were the Ray people did that really. Right. They redid you know, it. They redid Like all the Rays were Captain Crunch, they would call it something else right. in the Ray scene. Right. So Mike looked at us, let's just do that on a hip hop scene. And he took the cream of wheat and made it uh, cream of beet. And the actual flyer was the guy holding the the actual, uh, you know. <laughs> So, but like I said, it went back to branding. Right. You know, who would think Creamy B would just be this legendary right now? So right now, it just became to be, Creamy B became to be this legendary party that, like I told you, that dictated the music industry in San Francisco because it was a fresh, fresh thing. And we were like the first ones to play hip hop in a mainstream club. Yeah. We took all this thing that was going in the street and just brought it into a club. And where club owners was like, man, they're making 30000 at the bar wow. a night from hip hop. Right. Which they never even thought, and the fact that we only need six, seven hundred, eight hundred people at a club to make thirty thousand a bar, and a rave you need fifteen, twenty thousand because you know they don't really drink. So they were like, "Yo, this is cool," you know. I mean, there's that for you need a little more security, right? But you know, this and that. Then the parties just start taking off, you know. Then you start having informal nations. You start having all these other just parties just building up, building up, building up. Got to the point like in ninety six, ninety seven, we were doing like twenty two hundred to that party wow. You know? wow and then it was all breaking music it was all new music you right. know? i had redman i was doing redman for a thousand dollars they didn't even want no money it was like we need to perform at this party if we're gonna break in the bay area and they went back to that artist helped us and we helped out the artist and that's how that party became so legendary and now nowadays you know we're bringing it back twice a year now right but now we have generations at that party yeah you know we have like the dad and the mom come out yep. and the daughters Oh, I remember when my dad used to go to leave us at the babysitter to go to this party, you know? Yeah, there's two famous parties. One is doing it in the park. Doing it in the park, yeah. Which is the other group. Yeah. But well, see, doing the park is a little later. Right. It's about because those parties came upon, like, say, like the Rock City parties in the park back in the day. Right. You know, those parties came. Like, for us, our first outdoor parties here were in Formal Nations. Uh, they used to do my Golden Gate Park right here. So doing the park came back here from what Informal Nation was already doing. Because uh, Alex Aquino and all them, you right. know, it was like, they almost took over from what Informal Nation dropped off. Yeah. Because what it was, Informal Nation got so big at the park, they want to charge them $30,000 to do that party in Golden Gate Park. Wow. We were like, what? <laughs> you know? Like, so they had to stop it, you know? Yeah. So, so it's almost the other like, is Cream of Beat. Yeah, Cream of Beat. Those are know? the two. Yeah. And and the one we're doing. This is the original. The one, yeah, the one that we're doing <laughs> this year, it's the first day party ever. You know, yeah, we ain't never done a cream would be day party, and we have to do a day party because the whole pandemic still right now, right. so we get able to get numbers. But it's exciting; people are going crazy right now. Oh, day party! You know, like so. It's like where's it gonna? Where's it it's gonna, gonna be, be at the Midway? Midway, you know, Midway is big right now, so they have a venue there. It's over there on Marin Street. Is that used to be mighty? No, no. That we used to do there, great, yeah. but we can't get the numbers in there yet uh-huh. because San Francisco's not at a hundred percent yet. Right, you know. Right. But outdoors, you know, they'll let us have a thousand in their patios big. Oh, so it's over way. there. The marina's over there on Marin by um, Army Street. Got right? it. You know, by uh, Bayshore yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So we're able to get the numbers in there outdoor. And the outdoor patio is so nice. And then they also have an inside venue that holds 3,000 people. But 
we can't do that yet because they won't let us get 3,000 people in there. You know? Right. So this is becoming to be great. So we might have to switch it up now to do 4th of July, do a day party, and then and we do it twice a year. And then Thanksgiving, we do a night party, you know? So Yeah. Because yeah. the response idea. right now is so big. Like, you know, people were like, can I sell you some money right now? I said, no, the ticket's not ready. You know? <laughs> but they're like, they're ready to go, you know? Well, we've been all uh, locked up for over a year. Yeah. I want to say we missed three. No, two. We missed two, the 4th of July and Thanksgiving. Right. You know, we, did a, we did a 4th of July virtual one. It was cool, but it's not the same because what makes Creamer Beat is the people. Right. They don't even dance. You know, they're just looking at DJ. DJ goes on for 30 minutes and they just, boom. You know, there's like, <laughs> you got 30 minutes. We might have like 12 DJs, but everybody gets 30 minutes and they just go at it, you know, because the people just want to hear that energy and they don't wow. want to feel that energy. So it's good. So when you're DJing, how do you decide what you're going to play? And also, how much does the energy of the crowd influence? Okay, when I DJ, you know, there's there's different parties. So you have like a cream of beat party. It was mainly like a DJ showcase. So like the DJs act like an artist. They're looking at you. They're dancing, but they really got your attention, you know. Then, Then you have the club where people are not just partying and drinking and all that. So it depends on where I'm at. It depends. You know, I have so many sets. And so many ways of DJing that, okay, I know where I'm at. So the club, I know I got to do this. I don't have to play the song for only like 30 seconds, you know what I'm saying? Because they want to hear the whole song out of the regular club. Out of Creamer Beat, they want to just boom, 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 boom. You know, they want to get it in because they're just going crazy the whole 30 minutes that you're there. So it all depends where I'm at and I already have it in my mind. And I've been doing this so long that I, already, I could already distinguish where I'm at and what I'm going to play here, where I'm going to play that, the city that I'm in. I already know that this city likes this. It's such a conversation. Yeah. It's an unspoken conversation yeah, between the DJ and the crowd. And the crowd, you know. And you know when you put on the right track. The right track. And they also know when that track's not Yeah, so they hot. know. So I'm saying, so So if I'm at Creamer B doing my regular club set, it's not going to work. Right. You know, they're going to be bored. Like, oh, okay, you play the song three minutes. Then if I'm at the club and I only play the song 30 seconds, they're going to be like, no, we want to dance to this song. You got to know where you at. That takes a lot of, like, I want to say, a lot of knowledge and experience, you know, because you can tell the new DJs from the older DJs, like, more experienced DJs. You know? Oh, I, I've had that experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you play the wrong song, everyone yeah, yeah. walks off the yeah. floor, I'm like, yeah. oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I, yeah. how do I, exactly. how do I rescue and, this and one? And try to get them back is exactly. the hardest thing ever, you know? <laughs> exactly. Because it's almost like you lose their trust. And then, when you're playing at the club, you also have to work with the bar. Because yeah. if you're playing all hits all night, they're not they're not going to uh, they're not gonna go drink. And plus, when I'm at a club, I'm doing three-hour sets. So now i got to make this almost like a roller coaster ride. I can't just give you the 10, 20 hottest songs all at once. Because right. then, now i got two hours of, like, what am I going to play now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you got to, like, take them almost on the roller coaster. You know, you got to yeah. know, like, my secret formula is, like, okay, I'm going to grab you with the biggest songs they don't have to be new. It could be old ones, you know, like your favorite classics. I'm going to grab you. They start dancing in. Then here I come, you know, now we're going now. I'm going to mellow you out a little bit, yeah. you know, and then bring you with the hottest songs right now. Mellow you out again. So like that, it's like a tree. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like it's almost like a tree. It's like I'm not going to hit you over the head with the 20 hottest songs because first of all, you're going to be tired. Nobody's going to drink. Club owners going to be like, hey, nobody at the bar. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and then plus you're killing yourself though because he's doing a three-hour set day. Right. There ain't that many hits that the younger crowd want to hear right now. You know, they want to hear the same 20 songs. So now I got to make those 20 songs last me three hours. Mm. So now I got to hit them with the classics that they know. Right. But they're not like the big, 
what they call turn up songs right now, you know, but they still like them. Right. They're still good, <laughs> you know. And then I give them two here, three, three here, and then we go back to a, a big classic. And then I'm able to stretch out our three hours and everybody's happy. You there know, you so. go. <laughs> because me being of a different, slightly different generation, slightly mm-hmm. different. I I hear the classics and I'm like woohoo, yeah. well, and then I hear people things I don't understand yeah. or know. I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, and then, it goes <laughs> back to me saying you got I got to be aware of what I'm doing, what kind of party I'm doing. You know, like say I cream a beat, I'm not gonna drop a little baby record, right? Because they're gonna be like, what? Wait a minute, you know, this is uh, an old school party, right? You know what I'm saying like, yeah. I'll be shot. <laughs> you know, and a new party like where I'm playing Little Baby, I'm not gonna play a Grandmaster Flash record. Right. You know, they're gonna be like, that's way, way taking it way too back. So I gotta find that medium. I gotta look at the crowd because this is like almost like a 30, 25, 30 year old crowd. Right. You know, which is your main club goers right now. So I gotta look at, okay, 25, 30 years in high school at this time. Okay, right. let me hit you with the Nelly. Yeah. Everybody loves a Nelly record. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you you like it if you know it. Like you you made that face right now. But if I was to play, you'd be like, yeah, I like that song. You know? But it's that age. You know, I hit them yeah. with that age group, and, and everybody's good. You know, it's like so. I cream of beef's a little older. Cream of beef's probably a little forty plus. Right. You know, I can't play this Nelly record because they'd be like, wait a minute, a little too new. Yeah, look, that's my daughter. You right. know, the daughter will go crazy. <laughs> but the, but our main core is this core. Right. Okay, so that's I might, ready. So for a forty car, I might hit you with a uh, Tribe Quest. Right. You know, those records are like, you know, in the 90s. Right. You know, because that was your heyday. That's when you were in high school. Yeah. That's when you got into music. You right. Know? It's like, and I was so, in college. Yeah, you were, you know. During your high school, college, I was yeah, in college. Yeah, in college. You, you know about these artists. Yeah. It refreshes you and reminds you what you were doing at that time, you know. Right. And those are like the big records. That's what I call the big records. Yeah. The ones that make you think, oh, man, we used to go out to this song all the time. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really being a DJ. It's yeah. Like, it's, it's a lot these. of work. Trust me. It's yeah. like, it seems easy. It seems easy. Like for me, when I'm playing a song, I'm already two songs ahead wow. in my head. I'm playing this song right now. I'm already in my head. I'm already know I'm going to play this one and that one. I'm two songs ahead. You have to be. Right. You know, you have to be just in case the next song don't work. I already got to be ready to, to go to the next song. You wow. know, like, so it's like, and it's something that you, I don't realize I'm doing. But I know that I'm doing it. It's just like a nature now. Yeah. I'm two songs ahead of everything I'm doing. I'm doing now. That's that's critical. Yeah, it's real critical. Yeah. <laughs> What's the biggest venue you've played? I want to say the Shoreline. That's huge. That's yeah, huge. Shoreline. I mean, I did a lot because we used to do the summer jams. Right. 20,000, 25,000 people. I mean, I done like the Coliseum, but that's only like, what, 15? I think so. Yeah. Shoreline's huge. Yeah, the shoreline. So I want to say, yeah, shoreline, probably the shoreline. Oh, okay. Yeah. In your career, what are some of your highlights? I want to say my favorite highlight moment is just creating the scene. I can never forget that. And I've been blessed with being able to do that in San Francisco along with your brother and, and my other, uh, you know, DJ Ivan. Just creating a scene when there was really no scene here. It was a real commercial techno real, like, drug-infested party scene where people were, like, dying from drugs. But it was okay. Just because of the clientele, right. you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, no, they're, they're like yuppie kids. They pass out overdose. It's fine. We have one little event at our venue, and it's like, oh, it's urban people and their gang members and this and that. So being able to do successful events with that damn much drama that comes with the whole scene, yeah. it's been great for me. You know, it's like every time I finish a party back in the day, like we do Creamer B, we know 1,500 people. 
and everybody's good, you know, I was like, man, that's great. Those was always like my big moments, just creating the scene, like, where did we get from here? Like, I'm 17, 18 years old, making $1,500 a night, you know, like from wow. DJing. And then I turned 21, we're making cream of beef, you know, I'm making, you know, $2,500. Every time I think of those moments, it's like, those are like my biggest moments. Like, we went from this little bar. I used to get paid $75 a night there. And I used to do The whole this, night? The whole night. I used to do just six hours, right? Whew. From uh, $75, because it was a bar. Nobody knew hip-hop. Right. You know, it's not hip-hop. It used to be a rock band. Yeah. I, I used to DJ after rock bands. You know, it'd be like big rock bands. They used to finish at 8. I started at 8, all over the way to 2, you know, for $75. Wow. You know, like wow. I did Red Hot Chili Peppers perform there at 6 o'clock. Right. You know, and I started at 8. So I would start with some funk. You yeah. know, like I wouldn't... Ease them up into straight hip hop. Right. I was using some funk and then move on to the hip hop. So then I was like, I started getting more business. So I was like, you know, I ain't making no money here. So I talked to the owner. I said, I'm going to have to move it to, you know, he goes, no, no, no. You know, we'll give you, he said, we'll give you like 10, 20% of the door. I said, cool. So now the bar is making $75, but I was making almost $1,000 from the door. So I was making more money from the door than what I was getting paid. So that's the hustle, and that's what I told you about creating the scene. Like, I created my whole scene coming out from there. And those are, like, the moments that I think in my head, like, man, those are, like, huge moments, that's you know? Amazing. Like, yeah, it's like, even today, I, I'll just be sitting and, like, I can't believe this came from that, you know? Yeah. Like, and did hip-hop originate from the Bay Area? No, no, no. Hip-hop was originated from the Bronx in New York. From Bronx in yeah. New York. And it was almost originated the same way it originated. You know, we have our own scene here. It was just, you know, kids trying to express themselves, you know, not having an avenue to go play with the music they want to play. Like, I was just doing community centers, high schools. You know, we didn't really have that avenue where, like, let's make money off of it. We was doing it for the love. If I do a good community party, someone's going to hire me for a wedding where right. I can make money. Hey, mom wants to kill that. Just, let's have them do, you know, the wedding, you know. So that was my hustle. Let's do this big party at the park or something. And then be like, oh, yeah, let's get my wife to do the wedding. Yeah, yeah. Even at the wedding, I was probably making $200 back in the day. But, you know, it wasn't even about that. It was just trying to, like, create the scene and trying to do something for myself, you know. Because at first, I didn't want to do that at all. I just wanted to be a graffiti artist. I was just riding all over the, the <laughs> bear, just riding everywhere the buzzer. But it got to a point, like, you know, I used to go to the weddings all paint in my hands. People look at me like, damn, he coming to DJ like this, you know. Because I used to catch the bus to the weddings and, and ride on the bus on the way there. Wow. But then I wasn't making no money on graffiti, and then all my friends started getting arrested. So I was like, okay, let me stop. And I have this DJ thing, so let me turn to this DJ thing. But I, I detest DJing. I did not want to DJ at all. And plus, my brother and my cousin were DJs, so it was just like, I had to be a DJ because I, I, I didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And then it was right there in front of me. Right. You could do this. And I had a little more advantage because I used to learn from them not DJing, just watching. So by the time I started DJing, I already knew what they were doing wrong. Right. So I, I was already like, <laughs> you know, he should play that song instead of that song. So when it was my turn, to, you know, my brother left to the Air Force. And, and it was for me, time for me to step in. I already knew, like, it was almost like second nature to me now because I already been around that, you know? So yeah. I was like, yeah, those were the days. Amazing, <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, but like the hip-hop scene, like I said, it started from New York and all that, and it just branched it out like L.A., just like every urban city. We were just fortunate enough to be traveling different spots, you know? So we were able to learn from New York. We were able to learn from L.A., you know, from the biggest cities and bring that flavor into here. So when we bring those flavors into here, people thought it was like our, our own. You know, we still made it our flavor, but it, we were taken from yeah. the main 
parts where it really originated from, you know? So that's why it was almost like, man, the pirates just coming like heavy, you know? Like they could, they're bringing all this, you know? Yeah. Like I would bring from records from New York. They never even made it out of here. So I'm the only one playing them. Right. You know, and then they would see the video, but it wasn't even available here. Right. You know, so they're like, man, pirates got the best music. Yeah. You know, I, w- I will say that growing up listening to Mind Motion, mm-hmm. I would say that you helped develop the Bay Area sound. Yeah. Well, well, a lot of DJs come up to me right now and tell me, you know, a lot of stuff that we do now is yeah. because of you. Totally. You know? you know, they were younger, so they couldn't really be in the club, but they want to do what I was doing on the radio. Or even artists. I got my podcast later today. You know, I'm bringing them to the show, and they'll be like, man, I used to go in the backseat with my mom. Here's that mind motion, mind motion. Yeah. And I'll play over their songs and be like, ah! You know, like, we need that sound right now, you know, on That's our right. song. I get a lot of that, and then, like I said, I'm blessed and, and fortunate that I was able to do that and, and even inspire the younger guys that DJ now, yeah. you know, and they're still showing love now. Be like, man, you made us want to be DJs. And this is without me knowing that. You know, yeah. this is just me doing me. That's me. That's <laughs> me right here. <laughs> That's super cool. I used to play at a small club on Maiden Lane. It was more of a lounge. Iron Horse. Otis Lounge. Otis, okay. It was called Iron Horse first. Before, yeah, See, yeah, yeah. older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otis, yeah. yeah. I played there, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember one night, Lady Gaga played. She played there? Yeah. It was upstairs, it was right? Upstairs, yeah, 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 yeah. She was coming up, and she would just she was playing. That's amazing. I know. And then I think we went after, like, then we then the DJs happened after, yeah. of course. But it was a cool place. It was yeah. one of the first black-owned. Phil Queso was yeah. there. It was one of the first lounges. Yes. Like, lounges, because it was really, like, more like a lounge where you sit down and you have a drink. It was like a loft turned yeah, into like a, a lounge. lounge. Yeah. I like lounges. Yeah. yeah. So it was more like that. And, then, and I like kind of lounges. Yeah. Now that's the business now. There's really no more clubs. It's all lounges. Yeah. But the DJ gets more more shy now because you know it's like people are drinking now so you're almost like the attraction now it's not really like the venue it's about the dj yeah because it's more intimate you know so with the pandemic how did you the pandemic hit us hard you know like that especially with me i i dj but i also promote say like 70 percent of my own parties you know so so it hit me as a dj and business business wise so and then a couple people came up with me and said let's do this on video you know a little podcast this and that but the technology and all that wasn't ready all that for the music right it was cool like for a little talk stuff or something but for the actual music or create that party scene wasn't ready yet but then the instagram live came upon everybody was on there but you don't know what happened everybody started getting in trouble and right. sued and they was taking your pocket like i would get on there every 10 minutes i'll get cut off so now you think you know a lot of people don't understand what's going on they think it's my Wi-Fi connecting, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand that his Instagram shutting us down, you know? Right. And then I sat down for at least three months. I sat down. I didn't know what to do. It was like, well, I'm a mixed cloud, so I would do mixes on mixed cloud. Yeah. But it's not that same feel where I'm seeing people. They pushed me into going to Instagram Live, but that didn't work out. I mean, Instagram went over big battles, and I was thinking I'm still going. They even took my name. They took my MyMotion account. Oh. From copyright infringements and all really? that, yeah. So wow. it's, a, it's a mess. We're still going through it. Luckily, it's still there, but I can't use it, you right. know. But then Twitch came upon, right? you know, the gaming site. And I seen a couple guys in there early. And I was still like, nah, you know, Instagram is it's the power. Yeah. You know, everybody wanted Instagram because that's the actual power app. I said, I don't want to go to Twitch because, you know, I already have 30,000 followers on my Instagram. It's easier for me just to go Instagram live, you know. Sure, sure. But then as they kept cutting me every 10 minutes, I was like, never mind that. 
So I said, well, I'm going to use my 30,000 people to move everybody to Twitch. So I started getting to Twitch. I started messing with it. It was kind of hard to figure out. There was already people I said more advanced for me, but I wasn't really more about the visuals. I was more about the music. Right. I'm up getting on Twitch and just do my emotion. Because all those guys had green screens and yeah. all that. You know, I was like, I'm not that technical. But then Twitch started growing. You know, my numbers started growing. Then I got a call from one of the managers at Twitch. You know, his name's Anil. And he was like, yo, we got to get you and chew in here. You know, I was like, get you pumped up more. And then I said, cool. You know, like, I didn't, I didn't know what I'm doing. You know, so we want to make you a partner. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, it means, you know, you'll get more share of revenues on your Twitch. There's two things. You could go affiliate or partner. So when I became a partner, I couldn't stream in no other format. Right. So I can't stream on IG. I can't stream on Mixcloud. Exclusive to Twitch. Exclusive to Twitch. If you were streaming something, I could do it under your name, like on your account. Well, yeah, my motion uh, need, but it's not a my motion stream. It's right. your stream, right. you know. And but you're a guest. I, I'm a guest. Yeah. So I said, cool. So Chewy, my partner Chewy, didn't, he didn't go um, affiliate because he has 100,000 on his Instagram. Right. So he's like, I got to give up my 100,000 followers. You know, I can't stream on that. Yeah. But he ran into the same problem. No matter how many followers you got on Instagram, you were getting cut down. So I think he just became partner recently. That's I'm not awesome. sure. But I went straight partner. I said, forget Instagram. I don't want nothing new with them music-wise, you know. So I said, make me a partner. I don't even know what, <laughs> well, I don't even know what that consists of, you know right. what I'm saying? But it's been great. You know, l- awesome. l- luckily I got some money in my pocket, and I'm able to touch the people. You know, like I created my whole thing called Fire Chat. You know, and they call it fire chat because every time I play the song, people put the little flames up. That's right. So I just call it, let's call it a fire chat. So now everybody's like, now I'm even doing parties called, let's do a fire chat party. And people come out, you know, it's like, That's so. Awesome. Like for Cream of Beat, I'm doing a fire chat guest list, you know. So wow. Like, so I might invite my whole little crew into the party. Oh, you know? my God. That's so yeah. awesome. Twitch is such a great way for artists yeah. Yeah. At, during COVID yeah. to be able to make some kind of money because you know, yeah. I have some friends. If you like what they're playing or subscribe, they tip you. They tip you. You get to put. You get to tip them, and yeah. and the and the the user gets money yeah. as a result. So it's a great way to support. And that's just that's necessarily great. DJs. It's like bands. Just bands and in there bands playing. Too. Uh, you know, they just they're getting in trouble right now through the uh, publishing companies because the artists not getting paid royalties. You know, same as Instagram and all them. They're like, I just got another letter, but. Twitch defense is like, while all you guys are shutting down this industry, we're encouraging, you know, we're helping starving artists to survive. Exactly. You know, I'm, I'm talking about big artists, too. They'll do a show on Twitch, you know. Oh, yeah. They did Outside Lands last year on Twitch. Oh. You know, they bought, right, right, they bought right. Outside Lands right. last year on Twitch, you know. So they're, they're, they're helping the artists get some money, you know, and maintain. While all the other streams or other platforms are more concerned about the record companies and this and that, trying to please them and this and that. So Twitch was like, we go do this and we go. And they're still fighting and they're, and they're going through different ways. But at the same time, Twitch is owned by Amazon. There's only three stores that sell music in the whole world. Walmart, Target, and Amazon. That's crazy. Right? Like, you so, could actually go to a store and buy a CD or, or online, you know? That's crazy. That's the only place you could buy music nowadays or online, but physically go buy a TV or a movie, it's those three stores. Wow. Now, if Atlantic Records calls Twitch and goes real heavy on a lawsuit or that, what is Amazon going to do? Oh, we're not going to sell no more Atlantic Records on Amazon or any of our platforms. Now, a record company loses one-third of sales... And that's a lot because, Ryan, there's only three stores. 
You lose one third of sales. That's the only reason in my head that why they haven't shut down Twitch at all. Because it, I know record companies in the back is like, we're going to lose a third of sales. Can you imagine if you can't buy that music on Amazon at all? Right. You know, like, right, you would be a record company, sad. we lost a whole third of sales. Yeah. You know, like, and I know, but I can't prove it directly, but it just makes 100% sense that why they're not so heavy. Why did they shut down Instagram so high? Because we don't care about Instagram. They don't own our music format. Apple, mm, you know, it's digital. But physically, where you could actually go, you go right. to Amazon store, you go to Target store. And, you know, imagine if Target said, let's let's create a streaming. They're not going to mess with Target either. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> it just makes no sense. You know, it's like, now can you imagine if they were to mess with Amazon and Target? Now you only have one third of sales. Right. And you're done, you know? Yeah. And I think the Twitch knows that. You know, the record companies know that. So everybody's on this little gray area. Like, let's push here. Twitch pushes back. They keep going back and forth, and they can't get in. And I think somebody's getting a pass. Right. We're lucky for that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's awesome. Yeah. You know, because I'm able, like I say, I was able to generate revenue while we we're in this right. pandemic, you know. Right now, it's slowed down a little bit, though. You know, right. Twitch has slowed down because people are out now. You know, like my numbers have dropped on the streams because, you know, when I was getting, say, like 100, 200 people on the stream, now I'm getting like 90 because people are out now. Even though uh, you can look at your phone, you're at a park, huh? You're trying to have fun. You're not trying to listen, you know. No. To, you, you're out now. You know, everybody's yeah. out Everyone's now. Everyone's so. out. <laughs> oh, I listen to it in the car. <laughs> okay, well, now, okay, so now, now what I've noticed, the radio itself, commercial radio itself, has taken a big hit. Radio ratings are so low now. Right. KML is like a 2.9, which is the number one hip-hop station. 2.9 is like garbage. But now that's the standard now because all the streaming, all the podcasts, nobody wants to listen to the radio anymore. Everybody wants to be more, I want to say, more personal. Like, I like you guys' podcasts. I'm going to listen to I'm not going to listen to and Like you say, I can listen to this podcast on the radio on my phone. So why am I going to listen to the radio? Everybody want to be more personal. Like when I do my podcast, all the kids don't even know what radio is no more. They, they just know podcasts, right. streaming. This thing right here is the most powerful thing in music right now. You know? TikTok. Have you heard of that? Yeah. TikTok sells the most music in the world. It does? It sells the most music in the world. If your song is not on TikTok, you are not selling no records. Wow. If there's no kid doing a little dance to your song, your song is garbage. So now all the kids listen to the music on TikTok, they're not listening on the radio. So now radio just like got bombarded by the whole technology. So even if you listen to a KML commercial, it says go to our podcast, iHeartRadio. Right. Yeah. Don't even say listen to our morning show. Right. It says go hey, to our KML, go on to our podcast. <laughs> so now you have commercials almost like taking you away from the actual commercial radio to go to the podcast yeah. because on a podcast they could sell a million banners yeah. at $100 each cheaper than on a regular radio thing you can only sell eight commercials per half hour so you can only sell 16 commercials because you got still got to play music right. you know what I'm saying with a podcast they could be listening to us and little banners pop up $100 here $100, $100 picture there's so much money so now our heart's like well forget the radio you know, we're going to go make this money from a podcast, you know, and just charge cheaper and make unlimited more money, you know. Right. So now they're ratings. So there's almost like commercials, radio, local stations are battling the corporate owners. Yeah. You know, we're like, man, we ain't even getting support from you. You're not even saying listen to Rick Lee or something, you know. You're saying go to my podcast at 5 o'clock. Right. And Rick Lee's in the mix at 5 o'clock, you know. It's like, that's messed up. Right. <laughs> wow. So, so I could see where that's, you know, is effective radio now. So all the podcasts, 
and all that streaming is where it's at right now. So you know, it's like, all changing so quickly. Oh, it's changing right now. Yeah. So like, radio still gonna be there. The artists still like the radio play because it gives them that. Okay, we made it. Yeah. But if you made it in TikTok <laughs> or if you made it into the IG reels, right. you're awesome. Yeah. You know? And you're getting royalties from that. Right. You know, TikTok pays royalties. You know, so it's like. Say on my podcast or your podcast, if you used to, you say you could come in through a Spotify. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So if you used to play a song, you would give that artist a stream. Right. You know, right. just from logging into Spotify. Right. You know, like my podcast later today, when I play their song, they get a stream. Right. On the radio, you get a BDS. There's no value just saying that your song got played. Okay. You know, but on a podcast now, digital, you're actually getting a stream. You get a stream. Wow. So you're actually helping the artist more now. Wow. Which is a good thing. Yeah. That's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I'm saying radio still gives you that classic, I made it, I'm so happy I'm on the radio. Right. But that's just in your head, you know, just you want to feel yourself like they say, you know. But realistically, it's not nothing now. It's, you want to be here in the digital platform. And that's where it's going to go from now on. It's yeah. like, you can't take it back, you know. Yeah, there's no way of taking this back ever. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's no way. It's just going to keep growing. Right. Keep yeah. growing, you know. I was going to ask about you and Chewy. Chewy is the voice of the Bay Area. He you know? is like the ambassador. Yeah, he's like the ambassador. Everybody say he fought his ambassador. Said, no. <laughs> Chewy is the ambassador from all his stunts that he did back in the day from closing the Bay Bridge. <laughs> you guys remember that? Yeah. Everybody in our generation grew up to Chewy. And even the younger kids now know Chewy more because of the parents. You know, so it's like he's just like the... The all around, he's like our Willie Brown. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying? You you listen to Chewy in, in on the radio, and then you and come home the after CMC school, yeah, and then the you CMC we show. watch the CMC yeah. on KTSF. And, and he's still doing that. Oh, he's you still know, doing he's it. Still there. So right now they move digital. Oh, so they went on a website instead of a, on channel. He used to be on channel 26. So I see Chewy everywhere. Yeah, so he's every. He's a, you know, he's and wherever a, there's Chewy, there's always my yeah, motion. Yeah, yeah. So back in 2001, that's when they paired us up together. Oh. But Chewy is the one that actually gave me my first start on radio. He used to do Tuesday nights, and he used to go to Cream of Beats all the time. Uh-huh. So it was like, yo, I want this flavor. I said, guest DJ my show. And I said, okay. And that's the only reason I did that, because when I remember I told you I would say no to radio. Right. But the only reason I went to do his show was because he was Chewy Gomez. I already knew who he was. And he was letting me do what I was doing at the club on the radio. On the radio. So that's I didn't really cool. have to work the politics of radio, because there's so much politics on the music that you can play on the radio. Right. But since I'm a guest, I'm not an employee, I was like, you sure it's okay? He was like, I don't care, you know? And then from then on, people said, oh, mama's on the radio. And it just grew from there. And then when they offered me the, the job, I was like, nah, I was still like, because <laughs> I was scared on, uh, I was scared how my street audience was going to take on the, on the radio side. But luckily, I was fortunate enough to be able to like have them say, okay, mama's in his office right now. During the day, he's working here. But at night, we know what he do. Ah, you know? okay. You know what I'm saying? So I was able to get that crowd. You know, I still had people that was talking mess to me. But but <laughs> after a while, you know, just just with Chewy giving me, Chewy being so heavy in the street that you didn't even look at Chewy as a radio guy. You just looked at him, Chewy, working on the radio. And he had so much love from the street that it was almost like like DJ Franzen back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like this guy's like Franzen and Chewy didn't really make their things on the radio. They made their fame or whatever from the street and took it to the radio. So it almost it almost gave me credibility. It was like, okay, my is still cool. You know, if I would have been with somebody else, it'd probably be like, nah, you know, my muscle sold out to the radio, this and that. But since I was with Chewy, you know, it was like, okay, they're good. Chewy's good in the street. 
Yeah. I know I'm good in the street, so it was good. And then I was doing here and there. They put me at 12 o'clock, you know, but then in 2001 is when they partnered me and you together in the morning show. Yeah. So we did that for 17 years. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's incredible. No, actually, I was on radio 17 years. I made that for 14 years in the morning. And I hated every moment of it because <laughs> I had to get up so early. <laughs> well, that was probably the, a great partnership. We were actually rivals back in the day because on, on mobile DJing. Because he ran South San Francisco and I ran San Francisco. So every time I try to go do, say, oh, Camino High School, prom or something, they'd yeah. be like, no, we got Chewy. And I'd be like, who is Chewy? Even before I met Chewy, I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. That I can't DJ in South San Francisco right. because he's got it on lock. So when we finally met, it was like, oh, man, what's up? And then we, we just became cool. So we became cool about, about DJing, you know. Yeah. And this is from working together so long, we just all became family now. So it was like, we go on vacations and all that. So... So, yeah, like I said, Chew is just like the voice of the bay. You know, even though he's now on radio right now, he got his Twitch channel. Right. It will be like just like he's doing a radio show. He's on Tuesday and Thursdays. You know, he does his little oldie show, and then he got a faithful following. You know, he's good. It's almost like right now we're working from all that stuff that we did, and then just the respect that we just came into the scene. We actually created the scene yeah. here in San Francisco. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like I didn't just come in and be like, I'm going to tap into what they're doing. Nah, man, we've been arrested for playing hip-hop at a club. You wow. know, the cops will have us against the wall wow. because it was a hip-hop event and they didn't know that there was a hip-hop event at this venue. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it'd be like, oh, no, nah, then let us go on this and that. But just the fact that we went through all this stuff just to get this scene going. So sometimes when I see new promoters, like, bragging about what they're doing, I say, man, I've been arrested for what you're bragging about, you know? It's like, and I, I ain't trying to get no credit or nothing. It just makes me think, like, Man, where are we going? Or should I say something like humble them a little bit just so they could keep the things going? We all need the new generation to keep it going. So sometimes I'd be like, okay, let me let, let me let them know, or you know, somehow, yeah, take it easy. You know, what I'm <laughs> me and Michael been at it for a minute. You know, like right. you want to do a day party? You think you're doing the biggest day party? You ain't been to Informal Nation. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like, you ain't been to doing it in the park. You, sometimes you gotta let them know, like, hey. Relax a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that actually brings us to a great final question. You kind of talked about a little bit about the future of the nightlife, Mm -hmm. you know, industry where like lounges are where it's at. Yeah. And as a DJ entertaining the people, the everyday people, Mm -hmm. what's the future going to look like post post COVID? Post COVID, right now, well, even before COVID, was uh, the, the the clubs were fading out. Because right now the industry, liquor industry, made it a bottle service business now. You know, right. I first seen it in Vegas when I did my birthday party in Vegas, and there was tables on the dance floor. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? Where do people go dance? They don't dance. We go sell the tables, bottles, and they go dance on their table. So I first seen it in Vegas. I was like, okay, things are changing now. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. So that's the liquor companies coming at the clubs and making the clubs. You can make more money this way, you know what I'm saying? So, okay, so all that changed. The future that I see on that is like post-COVID, it was already all about bottles now. It wasn't really about the whole partying at the club now. Now it's just about who's spending the most money, you know, who's flashing more, who's buying the most bottles, and who has the most people on the table. Little dancing. You know, and you could ask any DJ, man, why nobody dancing no more, you know? And plus the music, the trap music is so popular that trap music is more of strict club music. And in strict club music, you just at your table partying, you know, so that's the whole culture there. But now after now that I see post-COVID nowadays, people are willing to come out. You should see Oakland. Oakland is so vibely right now. You know, really? I was like, man, my partner, Chris Rochelle, 
was DJ Creamer Beat also, but he just uh, closed out his club, his Leech, Leech Lounge, to uh -huh. a bigger spot. It's going too. But he just did three days block parties, and Oakland just showed out lovely, no problems, no none. It was just so much love out there. So people right now post COVID are just trying to come out, and it's almost like it's it's a good thing to me. Yeah. It's almost like let's get rid of this whole flashy thing and let's just come back to party. You know what I'm saying? The music is changing now. The tempo's going up again. Let's just go back to party and have a good time or socialize more at a lounge. Yeah, coming you know, together. Coming yeah. together now. No more. Like, no more. Yeah. Right now, the club scene is becoming more of a community than everything. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, now you have, like, your African community doing nights now at a whole venue where they, everybody's welcome, but it's thrown by this community and the community supports now. You know what I'm saying? So it's like becoming on the lounges as a DJ. Now I'm able to expand my playlist back to where I started to the music that I like. Right. You know, because now everybody's lounging, everybody's socializing, everybody's having a good time. Right. I don't have to worry about keeping you on the dance floor. You know, and like, even in New York, you go to New York, there's no more thousand people clubs. Everything's a rooftop lounge now. Right. You know, so when I went there, I also was like, oh, what happened here? You know, I used to go to big clubs in the 90s. We just went two years ago and I'm like, yo, where are the clubs? There's no more clubs. Everything's a rooftop lounge. So, you know, there's a DJ. Right. They're going in, everybody's having a good time, socializing. And that's what it is now, you know, and I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Me, from coming DJ in big clubs, I like the lounges. Yeah. yeah. You know, because musically for me, because yeah. I love music so much, musically for me, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah. You know, because yeah. I'm, I'm able to go back to my favorite music and to see people at, the, at their chair like, oh, you know, like, it's like, great. I still like clubs, but instead of just the 20 songs and then, okay, and then what? You know, like, yeah. so the lounges for me right now is like, it's so happening and that's what it. And I see it again. I don't see it going back maybe for like 10 years, maybe, to a whole, whole nother. Right. right. But the generation right now, young, like the 21 and over generation to the like 45, 50, it's all about a lounge right now because that's what the culture is right now. And even with the 21 and over, they have no choice. You know what I'm saying? Because that's what it is now. <laughs> but they're going to adapt to that. So that's going to last about 10, 12, 15 years. Right. And then when they turn 40... We still go go to the lounge, even though there's big clubs going on. They go go to the lounge because they grew right, up in the lounge. They grew up in the you know, lounge. So it's That's like, so and you kind of have a better you have a better time in the lounge because you get to party with your friends. Really, you know, you don't have to worry people bumping you and right. and all that. So for the state of what's gonna come after COVID, it's gonna be more intimate, more community, and more like a family affair out of out of venue. You know, yeah. like the days of like just corporate bottles and then. I think it's a wrap because even like we only have it's not a bad thing. Yeah, not at all. Because you know you can still sell your bottle. Yeah. it's just not as as hectic, and you don't have to worry about. I got to impress this other person. This person bought ten bottles. I got to buy ten. No, we all used to have fun before the bottle service came upon. You know, nobody worry about a bottle. Everybody got a drink and dance. Now right. so. It's all about the whole show thing. And now with the lounges, it's not that no more. Mm -hmm. We'll buy one bottle and it'll last us the whole night. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. In San Francisco, we lost all our big clubs. I think Temple closed. I think Temple closed. The only club is the Grand and maybe Space 550. The rest are more like boutique clubs now. Right. A little bigger than lounges, but not that big. Not that big. That big venue, massive yeah. club, you know. So now I think that industry has got to reset themselves also. Right. Now a lot of clubs serving food. And not necessarily because of the COVID thing. It's just because, like I said, it's more family, more community. Let's have some food and some drinks while my motion's DJing. Yeah. yeah. That's the whole thing now. That's like Even like Tempo, they start selling pizza at a big venue because they had to. They wanted more intimate at a big venue. Right, you know? right, so right, right. I think the most intimate thing is, is what's going to happen. Awesome. Cool. Yeah.
Man, All right. Thanks so much for your thanks time. So for sure. Much. Yeah. That was wonderful. Thank you guys. That's awesome. <laughs> guys, how was it? How was meeting and listening to one of my favorite DJs, DJ Mind Motion? Michaela, what? you got a chance to shoot him, meet him, shake his hand. What was that like for you? What a presence this man is. Right? I mean, you walk up to him. He's a big guy. I mean, he's tall and he's a big dude. And he is, I mean, he's also a teddy bear. You just want to give him a big old hug. <laughs> he's, he's so sweet. But what I learned about DJing, which I didn't really think about before, was the responsibility that DJs have to bring forth the dance party right you got to keep it going you got to read the crowd you can't be over anything you can't be under anything you really you got to put the hits in and then you got to mix in a little bit of the underground stuff but keep keep the hits to keep everybody engaged so it it's really quite an art that i enjoy very much but never thought about it in that way before so listening to you guys talk to eric about his experience and how he's just an epic person in the bay area i mean he he is so famous and it was really great to meet him susan how about you i know you know eric as a human that you don't really know him as a dj how was it how's it like listening to his career well you know what i really never thought about his career before i had no idea the thing that blew me the way the most was the fact that in the 80s and the 90s the djs set what was going to happen in terms of the music that was going out to the world, not the other way around yeah. where, where it used to be that the radio stations dictated what people are listening to. This time, what Eric was playing in the clubs is what the radio stations and the artists were, people were responding to that. So it's the, it was the DJ first and then the radio station, not the other way around. And that was fascinating to learn that yeah the dj and, sells the records mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing so i loved hearing that interview and i also had no idea how much hip-hop came out of the west coast and how many famous people came out of the west coast i had no idea and also right here from from the bay area i mean that's kind of amazing and how long they've been doing it and how long he's been doing it forever it's literally been his whole career since high, high school. school and that's that was a, a wonderful thing to to hear about that's awesome yeah what's really great is to hear another dj talk about playing a set as a journey as michaela kind of spoke to it making sure there's a little something for everyone and making sure everyone stays engaged they stay on for the ride and then they leave the event leave the the night leave the set that they're playing on a high note you always have to finish on a high note which is really great leave them wanting more exactly so speaking of wanting more what's next michaela Ooh, what's next is if you want to see a photo of dj mind motion because i bet you don't know what he looks like you should probably check out our instagram and our facebook feed we're at beyond the fog radio and I also would like to thank our amazing Beyond the Fog, small but mighty team. First and foremost, we want to thank Connor, who does all of our sound mixing and makes us sound amazing. He's our audio DJ, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and we also would like to thank Arliss, who does all of our copy for our blogs. If you haven't checked out our blog, it's on our website, beyondthefogradio.com. You can also find also little tidbits that Tim Johnson has put together on our amazing website. And then I'd like to thank my husband, who did our theme music, which I think still sounds pretty great. It's pretty cute. And Susan, what else should people be doing? We would love it if you would subscribe because that allows us to keep bringing you all of these wonderful people from the Bay Area. And one day we'll expand to another city. So in order to do that, you need to subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. You can get our podcast on Google or Spotify or Apple or wherever you get your podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Susan. And that concludes this week's episode with DJ Mind Motion. Join us next week because we have another amazing treat for you. DJ Big Russ from the world famous Rick and Russ show, Russell Gatewood. I can't wait to share him with you guys. And I know the rest of us can't wait to share him with you. Take care and we'll see you next week. Bye now. Bye. See you next week. Fog Radio 2021. All rights reserved.